0: We pick up Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts uh, chapter 20 and verse 22. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I've never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. I don't know what you would think is the greatest challenge facing Christianity in this country at the beginning of the 21st century is it the rise of islam we hear much of that don't we in christian press and in the national media what about the new atheism it's kind of the new kid on the block it's old as time itself but it's the new kid in the block as far as the culture is concerned isn't it is that the biggest challenge facing the church today or perhaps it's the kind of rampant consumerism that we we have to grapple with every day of our lives that bombards us with messages that we've got to have this or that in order to have a fulfilled, a complete life. All kinds of uh, challenges, aren't there? All pose a real and present danger and threat. But I want to suggest to you that's actually a far greater danger that faces each of us that are Christians than any of those things. And it's the problem of self it's the problem of me, it's the problem of little old me you see as you well know we live in a culture that's just obsessed with self isn't it our consumerist culture bombards us with messages every hour of every day that we need these things for ourselves self help books fill the bookshelves at some of the major booksellers TV and radio ads constantly bombard us it's all down to you it's all because you matter those are just some of the adverts I don't know if you recognise them our obsession with self has actually spilled over into some very ugly things hasn't it we have uh, reception class teachers back at Chessington who are having to deal with violent three-year-olds. It would have been unthinkable, wouldn't it? But I don't know if that's the experience of any reception class teachers here, but some of these teachers have been assaulted by three-year-olds. What's going on in our society? Well, we're living in a very child-centred culture where children from the earliest age are being told that it's all about them, that the world revolves around them. Marriages break up. Marriages that have been going on for years and years break up on the whim. that I must be free to do my own thing. I must be free to be me. What about road rage? What is road rage? But I own this bit of road, you're in my way, get out my way. It's all around us. People trample over colleagues in order to get promotion and, and think that it's just part of the cut and thrust of business life today. At the most mundane level, think about some of the conversations you've had this week with your friends at work or with your neighbours. Just run them, replay them in your mind, would you? How many of them have been about them? Do you notice this capacity people have within a minute? I play a little game now, see how long it takes. But it generally is under a minute before you might say, Oh, I went away on holiday. And so, Oh, really? They'll ask you about the holiday. And then before you know it, they're telling you about their holiday. It's how it works, isn't it? This is kind of rampant selfishness that is just endemic today. And we fool ourselves as Christians if we think it doesn't affect us. We really do. It's the biggest danger because it's the very antithesis of Christianity. And I think, therefore, it presents the greatest challenge to Christian living today. It's the the water we swim in, it's the air that we breathe. And it would be foolish of us to think it doesn't affect us. No, the truth is that self deeply infects and affects us in the most core parts of our being. It presents challenge to us not only individually, but corporately as the people of God, as a church. How often churches are torn apart by, I must have it my way. This is how we do it here. Which is why the words of Jesus, this last beatitude that we don't read of in Matthew 5, but here it is in Acts chapter 20, Come so powerfully, I think, into our culture today. Look with me, please. There it is in verse 35. Here's the Apostle Paul, and at the end of this passionate, emotional farewell to these Ephesian elders, he tells them words that Jesus himself said It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you think of anything that's more countercultural than that today? It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the very antithesis of the message that the world bombards us with every single day, which says it's more blessed to get than to give. And here's Jesus, and he comes into our lives, into our 21st century Western consumerist culture, into our churches, and says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, why is it? Why is it? Well, firstly, because it's what God is like. It's the very nature of God, isn't it? He lives this beatitude. He is the giving God. It's at the very core of his being. He is other person-centred. He lives in community, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves Father and Son and wants to bring him to our lives but God is self-contained in other centeredness in his relationship it's a deep mystery isn't it but at the very center of this universe is the perfection of God and at the perfection of God and in the perfection of God lies an unremitting commitment to give rather than receive now I find that a really hard thing to get my mind around Don't you? Because of the culture we live in, I find that it's incredibly hard. And with a fallen nature, it's even more difficult. It's hard to really grasp that God works in other person-centeredness. That's how he operates. Maybe it's easiest to understand when we think of the most famous verse in the Bible. Now, some of you, I think, are sleeping here. It's very warm in here, so I'm going to do a Jeff, and I'm going to come and ask you. Right? I won't go ask for volunteers, but I might ask you, now that's got you all awake, hasn't it? And got some of you looking down. But just humour, just me, would you? What's the most famous verse in the Bible? There you go, it's easy enough, isn't it? It's got you awake. John three sixteen. John chapter three, verse sixteen, which says Together God What did he do? He gave. this is a well-taught church (laughs) God so loved he gave what did he give? he gave his very best he gave his beloved son we're so familiar with that perhaps but it begins to bring it home doesn't it? this is the nature of God if you think of it Jesus' whole life was one of giving and if you've become a Christian you know that from experience don't you? that God has given you and given you and given you again he's brought light into your darkness he's brought pardon to the guilty he's brought peace to the troubled mind he brings sight to the spiritually blind he brings forgiveness to the guilty he brings health to the sick life to the dead we could go on and on and on That's what God is like. That's what Jesus does. And the Gospels are replete with examples of Jesus giving. It is more blessed to give than receive. And at the cross we see the ultimate nature of that giving. He says, I come to give my life as a ransom. Nobody takes it from me. This is what I've come to do. This is the purpose of God, my Father, to give me for you. That's the nature of God. Jesus went on to say in that that sentence, I've power to lay down my life and power to take it up again. Think of that for a minute. The power of God. Almighty God who can fashion a world and a cosmos by a word of his power. That kind of power. Astonishing power. Power beyond our imagination. And how does he use that power? He uses that power to give. I've power to lay it down down isn't it astonishing it's no wonder therefore is it back in Acts chapter 20 that when the Apostle Paul calls these elders from the church at Ephesus to deliver this farewell speech he reminds them he reminds them to be shepherds there it is in verse 28 to be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood in other words follow the pattern follow the example of the Lord Jesus the good shepherd himself and Christian you and I are never more Christ like than when we're giving this is what Paul was calling them to isn't it to give of themselves to give themselves away it's to be the hallmark of the elder it's what Paul is calling these elders to isn't it would you be more like Jesus well be a giver Because that's what Jesus is like. It's the mark of the family likeness. When we give, when we give of ourselves, we come closest to reflecting the heart, the character, the mind, the passion of God Himself. Notice in verse 32 when Paul commits the elders to the word of His grace, it's not something passive the word of God's grace is something incredibly powerful and active it builds it builds grace into the life of other people and that's what Paul is committing them to it goes about demolishing the rubble and the rubbish of selfishness and self-centeredness and through the power of the spirit begins to turn our mind, our heart our will, our activity towards the glory of God by serving other people why is it more blessed to give than receive? That's what God is like. And, Christian, God is your Father. And you bear the family likeness. But also, notice, secondly, well, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember the blessed? Blessed are the poor in heart, spirit, blessed are the merciful. How else can we translate blessed? I'm sure you've heard this, being such a brilliantly taught church. How else do you. What's a, what's a modern word for blessed? Happy. Happy. Happy is, is a bit thin, but it's happy in its truest sense means a deep, deep contentment. Jesus is saying, it is more blessed. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be blessed? Of course you do. Every human being has got an instinctive desire for happiness. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how God has wired us up. Because he himself is the blessed God. God is deliriously happy. He looks at all he's made and it is good. He's content with it, we read back in Genesis 1. He designed us for joy. He designed us for contentment throughout the Bible there's this whole emphasis on shalom as it's called in the Old Testament on peace on wholeness on well-being blessed is the man says the psalmist who takes refuge in him now here's the rub we may know that up here yeah we may know that in our minds yeah God is the happy God and it is more blessed to give than receive here's the rub Do I really believe that knowing God and going God's way is the true source of blessedness and happiness in the world? Do I really believe that? Because it doesn't come natural to us. What comes natural to us as a result of the fall is that we'll make anybody or anything, not least ourselves, the center of our lives, and we'll look to that person, we'll look to that thing for contentment, for happiness. And you see it on the on the trivial level. With football, I was in Liverpool. I'm a Chelsea supporter, right? I'm in Liverpool last weekend. Not only am I in Liverpool, Chelsea are playing Liverpool that afternoon, and I'm due to preach in the evening at Bridge Chapel where Bill Bygroves is the pastor. Now you may not know this, but Bill Bygroves is the chaplain of Liverpool Football Club. And we've just bought Torres for some ridiculous sum and we've got a real history of buying Duff Centre forwards for ridiculous sums. But please, could we have a win at least, or at least not lose, but there we go and lose. We lose by 1-0. But, you know, people your world could fall apart. The world fell apart for loads of Chelsea supporters that afternoon. Now, you might find that hard to believe, but take it whatever your hobby is, whatever your passion, it very soon becomes the passion of your life, doesn't it? It may be a person. It may be a child. It may be a relationship that you long for our hearts, as one Christian writer puts it, are idle-making factories. Not idle-lazy, but idle-making substitutes for God. And Jesus comes along and says, Look, God, my Father, I am his Son. I've come to tell you that it's more blessed to give than receive. Do you want to know true happiness, true contentment, true fulfilment? Do you want to know the blessed life in this life, let alone in the world to come? Well, here it is. You see, these elders to whom Paul said this were obviously already Christians. They believed the gospel. But Paul is reminding them there in in verse 32 that it's not only past experience, it's present experience because knowing the grace of God is an ongoing, daily, transforming experience. And the kind of people who have the inheritance of eternal life isn't that they are perfect people but they are sanctified people so look with me please in verse 32 I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified the great thrust of Christianity the great thrust of the gospel is the future because in this life we will never never know the full contentment the full happiness that we're instinctively made for We can have a foretaste of it when we become Christians, when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and come to him in repentance and faith. He gives us the Holy Spirit. His grace comes into our lives. He opens up our minds and hearts to what's really valuable in this world. And what's truly valuable and the most valuable is God himself. And knowing this God who so passionately wants a relationship with me that he sends his son to pay for my heinous sin and rebellion and pride by his agonies upon the cross that's how he gives and Jesus says come follow me come follow me you see the gospel that these elders believed that Paul had taught them was pointing them in the direction of heaven It is more blessed to give than receive. And if we go the other way around, we become pygmies. You know that, don't you? Your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And as you get older, it becomes so evident. I'm sure you've seen that. Here's a person. They're not a Christian. They've lived what they think is a good life. They're measuring it by the wrong standards. But they're living for themselves ultimately. And as the years move on, their world just gets smaller and smaller and they get more and more disappointed and crushed because they're looking for happiness in the wrong place. Here's the Christian. They might not have much to their name, much in their wallet, but they have an inheritance in Christ that is invaluable, that you can't put a value upon. And as they travel on through life, and as they get nearer that inheritance their horizon gets bigger and bigger. I've seen this so many times. So many times. Even as I speak this to you, I'm thinking of people, people like Jack Brazier back at Chesington. He was a man, he lived into his 94th, 95th year, a gardener most of his life, very little money, but a man who had a profound influence upon the church at Chesington by his prayers and by his example. Because for him, the horizon was getting bigger and bigger and bigger because he was looking forward to this inheritance. He had learned that it is indeed more blessed to give than receive and that following Christ makes for the happiest life. But finally, let me close with this. Why is it more blessed to give than receive? Firstly, because that's what God is like. Secondly, because it is the real blessed life. But thirdly, it's how the gospel travels on in this world you see Paul if you read Paul in the New Testament time and time again this old Pharisee this, this, this man who was so strong on what was right and what was wrong the thing he could never get over was God's grace wasn't it and he speaks about God's grace and it's here in this passage again he's already mentioned it in verse 32 but he lived out that God's, God's grace didn't he He believed that the wealth of God's grace was so immeasurable, so valuable that it was worth giving his life away now because he could trust the God who had his best interest at heart. And he modeled this beatitude to them. He mentions that, doesn't he? Verses 33 to 34. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. These hands of mine have supplied my own needs and those of my companions. Now, that's an astonishing statement. Paul was probably one of the greatest men the greatest intellects this world has ever seen an incredible man and yet can you picture him there at night time presumably doing his tent making with his companions earning money so as not to be a burden to this young infant church at Ephesus but not only not to be a burden to them actually to role model to them the life of Jesus It's more blessed to give than to receive. And the gospel travelled through the life of Paul into the life of those Christians at Ephesus. And he says this, doesn't he? I showed you, but by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He lived it out. And because he lived it out, the gospel travelled into their lives. He didn't exercise or stand upon his rights. He supplied his own needs in order to show them the power of this beatitude. In short, he wanted to make people rich with Jesus. Can you think of a greater ambition? What do you want to use your life for? What greater ambition than this? To make other people rich in Jesus. That's what Paul was about. But it only happens when you're ready to lay your life down in 101 mundane ways every day, week after week, month after month, year after year, by sheer hard work, he says, verse 34. He looked out, verse 35, for the weak and for the poor. What we're called to do, isn't it? It's more blessed to give than to receive. He wasn't only really talking about financial giving. In a way, that's the easiest thing, isn't it? When I was uh, leaving my business, I was in business for uh, in, in Wimbledon and uh, in, the, in the 70s. And it's interesting when you're leaving because people begin to open up to you a bit like a father confessor very odd odd dynamic but one day I was out for a, for a meal with, with a guy that um, we used to do a lot of business with and uh, this guy was, was really quite a rogue if truth be told quite a rogue and um, it's the kind of people I associated with but uh, he, he'd done very well in business and we are just talking over lunch and he, he said you know Trevor the, the other day I went to see my cousin Now, his cousin, it turned out, had been a barrister, had been a really top-flight barrister, but he'd been afflicted by a a mental illness, and he was in a home, and my friend had gone to see him. And you can picture the scene, can't you? He goes into the home, he sits down with with his cousin, and after 10 minutes, he's got nothing else to say to him. He doesn't know what else to say. So he goes to his wallet, and I'm talking here 30 years ago now, and he takes out of his wallet a hundred pounds I don't know, five, six, seven hundred pounds in today's money and he puts it in his cousin's top pocket and he said I'll see you again soon well there's a very brave nurse in that home who came over and took the money out of the cousin's pocket and said to him he doesn't need your money he needs your time he needs you, he needs your time that's much more valuable than any notes that you are stuff in his top pocket I thought that was incredibly honest and authentic and brave of that guy who's not a Christian to tell me that story but it has something to say to us Christians doesn't it you see it's not simply about our money, in a way money is the easier thing Paul invested his time in people in the weak and the poor I'm sure that wasn't just financially weak and poor I'm sure that's those who were struggling in all kinds of areas of their life you see it's about speaking the gospel of grace into the life of other people and it's going to inconvenience us and it's going to cost us and it's going to need us to lay our life down and it's done in very seemingly trivial ways but think of this Who are the people who have most influenced you in your Christian life, if you're a Christian here this morning? And I guarantee it's this. It's those people who live this in some measure, isn't it? I can think of a number of people that influenced me in this way and they did it by inconvenience themselves, laying aside their own preferences, their own needs, in order to get alongside somebody like me. And you can be the same kind. You can think of people, people who've gone out of their way, pursued you, ministered into your life, year after year after year. Those are the people we remember, isn't it? We only remember the misers for the wrong reason. But the people we value, the people we treasure, the people we thank God for, are those who lived this. This is the gospel. they lived it out. And it's over the bridge of their self-giving that the gospel came into your life and continues to travel from us into the life of other people. And there's only one thing that's going to do that for us, isn't it? And that is that we're captivated by Christ. This is the only thing that's going to do it for us, isn't it? it's not a knowledge of the doctrine alone it's that the doctrine, the truth about what God is like who Jesus is, travels ascends as the Puritan put it from our head to our heart and don't think of your heart in terms of mushy kind of sentimental thing the Bible means by our heart our will, our volition our readiness to deny self and love other people And we'll only do that when we're captivated day by day with Christ. John Piper put it like this. You reveal the value you put on Christ by what you are willing to risk or give up for him. You reveal the value that you put on Christ by what you are willing to risk or give up for him. What does God, the Holy Spirit, say to you this morning, Christian? What is he calling you to risk or give up in your life in order that you might be a channel over which the gospel travels into the life of other people? That on that great day of God, on that great day of judgment, there will be those who will be praising God, thanking Jesus for you, that you lived It's more blessed to give than receive. It's not natural. My goodness, it's not natural, is it? Natural is, it's more blessed to get than to give. But when the power of God, when the love of God begins to invade and flood and permeate our thinking and our lives, then this starts to happen. And it's the most beautiful thing when it does. And it brings glory to God. And can I say, this is the advantage of being a visiting speaker. I have no idea who's a Christian here and who's not a Christian. I'm not assuming that everybody in this room is a Christian. And I want to say to you, if you're not yet a Christian, you've obviously got an interest in these things, the very fact that you're here. It's great that you're here. It's marvellous that you're here. And the God who made you, the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, the God who's granted you life and the circumstances of your life, the God who's so infinite in his knowledge that the Bible says he can even count the number of hairs upon our head, not even the most self-interested person does that, do they? But that God, your creator, has come to this earth to be your redeemer. And on the cross, he put a cross through all that nonsense That we instinctively think that just by turning over a new leaf, just by being a better person, I can be acceptable to God. Do you think God is some kind of idiot or fool? He would never allow Jesus to go to the cross if we could make it that way. No, Jesus comes and says, you can never make it that way. You're far worse than you can ever imagine. And it's an uncomfortable thing to to hear that and to begin to realise that. And it's a troubling thing when that happens in our lives but it's a merciful thing because it points us to the Lord Jesus who not only says to us, you're far worse than you ever imagined he says to us, you're far more loved than you could ever imagine. And on the cross he demonstrates that love and he calls you to himself. And his coming is that his blessing might flow into your life the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of relationship with God, the blessing of walking through life day by day in the hardship, in the trials, in the heartaches as well as in the joy, knowing that God is with you and God is for you. And on that great day of Christ, that your sins are forgiven and that heaven, a new heaven, a new earth await you. Because if not, only the judgment of God, only hell awaits us if we will not have this Christ. And I urge you, if you're not yet a Christian, to seek God today, to talk to somebody who is a Christian, to talk about the problems you have, to talk about the doubts you have. People didn't just suddenly wake up.